Psalm number one. Well, most of you are aware uh, that we're going to be starting a new series on the Psalms. You just uh, turn to Psalm number one. We're going to begin this series the first Sunday in August. That's when Pastor John and Kelly are going to head off into the wild blue yonder for a three-month sabbatical, a uh, well-deserved time away uh, to refresh and and uh, renew their marriage and and renew their relationship with the Lord. And so our series on the Psalms while they're away is called Infinite Glory, Intimate Grace. And I'll be preaching uh, 11 times while the Kavakases are gone, and also a few of our own uh, Apollos graduates are going to be chipping in along the way and showing us some psalms. Bill Swetke is going to preach on August 27th on Psalm 51. And John the Catechizer Sellers will be uh, taking on Psalm 91 on October 8th. And then Fred Reed, I think he's downstairs, uh, is going to be preaching on August 29th on the very large psalm, Psalm 119. But you know, even after Pastor John gets back from his sabbatical, we're, we're still going to return to the psalms periodically. There are 150 of them after all, so there are plenty to choose from and there is plenty to chew on in the psalms. And so that's why we're going to keep returning to those. So in addition to me, another Apollos grad will be waiting in the, in the wings, uh, David Algren. Uh, is going to be preaching at some point on a psalm, as well as two of our elders, Elder Peter Ristow and Doug Sachs. And so anyway, I thought that today, given this unexpected opportunity, we could maybe stick our big toe into the waters of the psalms and, and start to get a little sneak preview of the enormous dimensions of what one of the great preachers of our day, uh, Dr. Stephen Lawson, calls a towering book. And I think that's a beautiful, beautiful description of the psalms because this towering book is one that simultaneously describes God's sovereign and majestic rule over absolutely everything. It also describes his impeccable holiness. And finally, it describes the personal and intimate nature of his grace toward every one of us who puts our trust in our God. And so that's why the Psalms declare God's infinite glory and also his intimate grace. Well, that declaration begins with the very first word of the Psalms, blessed, blessed. And this one word is our passage today. This is what we're going to focus on, is this word, blessed. And that's because as I've immersed myself in the Psalms over the last several months, I I haven't been able to help but notice that this word and idea comes up a lot in the Psalms, 107 times to be exact. 107 times where the, uh, the word bless or blessing or blessed appears in the Psalms. And to put that into perspective, the various forms of the word bless occur 418 times in the entire Old Testament. And so that means, remarkably, that the Psalms alone contain 25% of the Old Testament's references to blessing. To top it off, of course, Psalm number one begins with the word blessed. 
Now the Psalms, the book of the Psalms is the ancient hymn book of God's people. It was written and compiled over about a thousand years, beginning with David and Solomon and ending after the Babylonian exile. And as we'll see in our series, there are five books that make up the Psalms, or the Psalter. We can call it the Psalter as well. The Jewish, the Jewish leaders who wrote and compiled this collection of Holy Spirit-inspired worship songs put it all together with an intentional thematic and theological structure that flows from one book to the next. And then also underlying the current of each book, there also seems to be a correlation to an era of David's, David's life in each of the books. Well, we're going we're gonna to delve more into all that when we begin our series in earnest in August. But the point here today is that the people who assembled the Psalms into these five books, they didn't just stuff a bunch of sheet music into a notebook. They took great care in the way that they organized it. And by the power and presence of the Holy Spirit, they, they wrote and they chose the songs that they did for this collection. And they chose Psalms 1 and 2 in particular to be the introduction to the, to the whole thing. Psalm 1 contrasts a blessed person who lives in accord with God's word with an ungodly person, a wicked, sinful person whose life in God's eyes really is, is worthless. And the psalm ends with the thought that such a life is going to perish on the day of judgment. That's what will happen to the wicked. But the way of the righteous, God knows. Psalm 2 highlights the foolishness of opposing God. It exhorts the pagan leaders of the day to submit to God's anointed king because God's anointed king will someday thoroughly, completely crush his enemies. So these are the two threads that run throughout the Psalms. This idea of a contrast between the, the righteous and the unrighteous. The futility of refusing God and yet the absolute blessing of serving God. And these themes are punctuated by the first words of Psalm number one and the very last words of Psalm number two. The two introdu introductory Psalms to the entire book of Psalms. Psalm 1, verses 1 and 2 say, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. And then Psalm 2 ends with a similar thought. It says, Blessed are all who take refuge in him. And so this idea of being blessed is an important one in the Psalms. It's something that the composers and compilers of the Psalms wanted us to understand and take note of. But brothers and sisters, what in the world does being blessed or blessed mean anyway? What does all this mean? Well, this is what we're going to contemplate today. I, I, the reason for this is I think blessedness is a good thing for us to dwell on from time to time because it's an idea that is so embedded in our Christian conscience, uh, so embedded in our language, in our, in our Christian ease, that it's possible for us to lose sight of what blessedness really is. We, we rightly say things to each other like this. We say, well, have a blessed day. Be, be a blessing. Be a blessing. 
And then we say to our children a lot, don't we? Count your blessings. Count your blessings. And if you're from the South, like Leslie and I are, this one's very familiar to you. We'll bless your heart. Here's one I'm not particularly proud of because I've used it a few times. Been in an argument with somebody or had some difference with somebody and I'm mad and I just want to end the argument, but I'm a godly man, so I'm going to do it in a righteous kind of way. So I say, well, God bless you. My jaw jutted out. That's not a real good way to ask God's ble- God to bless somebody, is it? Well, we also bless our food. We, we ask for God's blessing over our plans. And, and lo and behold, we even bless God. And Psalm 103.1 says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless His holy name. We count our children, a promotion at work a restored friendship, a new car, a helpful book. We count all these things as blessings, and the list goes on and on and on of things that we rightly see as blessings from God. And when things are going well, boy, we say that we're blessed. How often do we do that when things are kind of going the other direction? And so we've got the idea that being blessed means somehow in a general kind of way to be happy because of God. And indeed, that's the very basic idea that's at the root of the Hebrew words uh, of the original Old Testament texts. And it's also the same basic idea of the Greek words in the New Testament that we translate into English as blessed in its various forms. But of course, this is WBF. And so in WBF style, we don't want to leave it at that, do we? We want to dig a little deeper and we want to find out what this blessedness really is what this word that opens up the book of Psalms is really about. And so that's what we're going to do today. And as we do this, we're going to learn about two different words in the Hebrew language that are translated as blessed, blessing, and blessed in our Bibles. The first has to do with with blessedness that God initiates. It comes directly from God. And the second has to do with the blessedness that is the direct result of the condition of our hearts. And it's the second word that begins Psalm 1, and it provides, it's the definition of it provides our big idea for our passage today. Our big idea is this. Blessedness is the joy and satisfaction that comes in knowing that we're right with God because of our trust in him through Jesus Christ. And this joy and satisfaction does not depend at all on circumstances. And so as we dig in, let's go ahead and take a look at these two Hebrew words that we translate into English as bless, blessing, and blessed. The first and far more common word in the Hebrew is barak, and it comes from a word that means knee or to kneel, to kneel in worship. And so that's why it can be used in the sense of worship or praise. Psalm 103, bless the Lord, O my soul. Psalm 72, among many others, uh, also repeats this idea. Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, who alone does wondrous things. And so when we bless God, when we barak him, we worship him, just like we're doing this morning as we have sung to him and we've given him our offerings and we've, we've, uh, we're now meditating on his word. 
We are baracking our God. We're blessing his name. To bless God is to give voice to our love and devotion to him. And to declare not only to the people in this room that we worship the one true God, but our presence and our hopefully throaty singing uh, uh, also declares to our town the goodness and the worthiness of our God to be praised. So the people who are driving by this morning or walking by out there on the sidewalk are seeing and hearing the fact that we bless the name of God. Brothers and sisters, let's also pray that later on this week when something doesn't go our way, when we're at the grocery store and the cashier shortchanges us or, or when we hit the post button on social media, let's pray that they will know that we bless the name of our God as well. Well, we bless God, but also God directs his blessing toward us too. And this is another sense of the word barak. And this divine blessing does a whole lot more than just fill us with a sense of of happiness. When God directs his approval and goodwill toward us, we are filled with life and we're filled with a prosperity in him. This is exactly what happened when God blessed Adam and Eve in the garden. Genesis 1, 28, do you remember this? And God blessed them and he said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. This is a blessing that came straight from God and it's this and and other blessings that establish for us the biblical principle that all true blessings come from the living God. Likewise, in God's astounding promise to Abraham, he promised him his blessing, his barak. In Genesis 12, 2, God says, I will make of you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. Well, not only that, King David in Psalm 21, and this is just one of tons of examples, he enjoyed another kind of blessing from God, a material and a spiritual one. Verse 3 of Psalm 21 says, For you meet him with rich blessings. You set a crown of fine gold upon his head. Our Lord, we sang this a few minutes ago, wore a crown of thorns, but David wore a crown of fine gold upon his head. Verse 6 says, for you make him most blessed forever. You make him glad with the joy of your presence. You see, God is the one who blesses in this sense of the word. And this blessing, of course, ultimately comes from God as all blessings do. And so this is why why we bow our heads and bless our food and why we thank him for the things that we have. And we thank God for working out the details of our lives and for the breath that's in our lungs to live a new day. It's It's because we know that God's goodness and favor is what has caused him to provide for us and to give us life. It's God's goodness and favor that is his blessing to us. Well, finally, Barak can also mean the the blessing that we invoke upon others in God's name. We say rightly, and hopefully not in the way I described earlier, we say, God bless you. God bless you. And this comes from a deep biblical tradition of invoking the favor of God upon others. And this is something that God taught us to do. For instance, there's the famous blessing of God's people that the Lord taught Aaron in Numbers chapter 6. 
We all know this one almost by heart, don't we? The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace. What a beautiful, beautiful blessing. And so that blessing is one of the reasons it's nearly impossible for us to pray uh, uh, for another person and fail to ask for God's blessing over them. This is the kind of blessing we want for them. And so we say, oh God, bless my daughter today in school. Bless her relationship with her friends. Bless my friend with saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. How many times have I prayed that prayer? Bless my wife with physical healing. Bless us as we gather together together, Lord. Bless us. Bless my family. Bless those whom I love. Bless my friends. Bless my enemies. You see, we desire God's blessing for others because we've experienced his blessing ourselves. And we know, we know how good God is to those whom he blesses. And so that's kind of the bird's eye view of Barak, of God's blessing. We receive God's blessing. We receive his goodwill and favor. And we ask that God will do the same for others. And when we bless the Lord's name, it's an expression of our worship for him. And when he blesses us, it's our cause for worship. Because after all, he's poured out his goodwill and favor upon us in physical ways and material ways. And most of all, most importantly, he's poured out his spiritual blessing upon us. You see, at the heart of God's blessing on us is his relationship with us. This is a relationship that began with those promises to Adam and Eve in the garden and to Abraham, promises that are fulfilled in his new covenant with us in Christ. And it is in Christ that we discover the greatest manifestation of God's blessing. What was given to Abraham is now available to us by the power and presence of the Holy Spirit. You see, it doesn't matter whether we're Jews anymore. We can receive this blessing no matter who we are, what color of our skin, our background, no matter how sinful we've been. When we receive Christ because of the conviction and power of the Holy Spirit, this is what happens. Galatians 3.14 says that, that this blessing that was given to Abraham is now available to us by the power and presence of the Holy Spirit so that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. And so when we become believers and put our trust in our Lord Jesus Christ, we receive the Holy Spirit who empowers us to live for his glory. This is the greatest blessing of all, saving faith in Christ through the Holy Spirit. It's a, it's a blessing that's never going to fade away. It's a blessing that will never wither. It'll never wear out like the things of this world. And that's because God has promised it and he's going to keep his promise just as he kept his promise to Abraham. God is the source of the greatest blessing of all, the spiritual blessing that we receive in Christ Jesus. Ephesians 1.3 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ 
who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. The spiritual blessings that we receive in Christ by the power and presence of the Holy Spirit is exactly what raises us up from the way of the wicked in Psalm 1 and raises us into the way of life of one who delights in God. God's spiritual blessing in Christ causes us to live in a way that proves we've been blessed. God's spiritual blessing in Christ causes us to to be a reflection of the character and nature of the one who has blessed us. And Peter even asserts that as recipients of such a great blessing, on the most practical and fundamental level, we're called to invoke the blessing of God. We're called to invoke God's blessings on our friends and also on our enemies. Listen to this, 1 Peter 3, 9. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless, for to this you were called. We were called to bless, and in that we become a blessing, and we obtain a blessing too. My friends, is there somebody who's done evil to you? Is there somebody who reviles you? What God is telling us in his word is that as blessed individuals, as people who belong to Christ, as people who have been blessed with the greatest blessing ever in Christ, God is calling us not to the way of the wicked, but to the way of the righteous one. And the righteous one, Jesus Christ, did not repay evil for evil. He did not revile in return when he was whipped and when he was crucified. And that same righteous one is saying to you this morning that the power and presence of the Holy Spirit who now lives in you is bigger than your pain. He is bigger than your problem. He's huge. He overwhelms it. And he is so big and he is so powerful and he is so life-changing that he's able even to cause you to bless in word and deed when you are reviled and when you are hated and when things just don't go right in your life. You are able to do that because of the Holy Spirit in you. And when you do bless instead of revile, when you do when you respond to evil with blessing instead of another evil, you will become blessed. This, you see, is the sense of the second Hebrew word that we translate as blessed, blessing, and blessed. Psalm 1 says, blessed is the man. The Hebrew word for blessing or for blessed here is not barak, it's ashrei. Ashrei speaks of the spiritual blessing of being devoted to God. Blessing, you see, is a state of being. And here's the big idea of our message again. Blessedness is the joy and satisfaction that comes in knowing that we're right with God because of our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. A faith and trust that doesn't depend on circumstances at all. In our verse, blessed is an adjective. It describes the subject, the man. The man is blessed. Why is he blessed? Because he delights in God. 
You know, we're, we're most familiar with Barak blessings where, where we see that God is directly providing the blessing for us. For instance, if your boss gave you a raise this week, you have rightly characterized, I'm sure, that that is a blessing from God. He has blessed you in a tangible way that you can measure empirically. But the man's state of blessedness in Psalm 1 isn't coming from money or things or, or circumstances or an outside source, or, and it's not even coming directly from God. His blessed condition comes from his delight in God's law. Verse 2, delighting in God's law is what makes him blessed. And so on the one hand, the kind of blessing that the Hebrew word Barak describes is the blessing that comes directly from God. It's God's favor and goodwill poured out on us for us to receive. But by contrast, the spiritual state of blessedness that Ashrei is revealing is one that we participate in. It comes from the condition of our hearts. It comes from the fact, in this case, that we delight in God's law. And therefore, unlike the wicked man, the one who delights in God's law also does God's law. It makes sense, doesn't it? That's the way we prove that we delight in his law. The one who delights in God's law lives it and he meditates on it. He, he breathes it on all the, all the oracles and words of God. He lingers on and studies and savors. And this state of blessedness that the Hebrew word Ashrei portrays is a result, brothers and sisters, of your devotion to God. It's the result of your sanctification, of your Holy Spirit-empowered ability to live in a way that pleases God. And so when your heart and actions proclaim your love for God, you are a blessed person, just like the blessed man in Psalm 1. And of course, the glorious result of that blessedness is the fullness of joy in knowing God. Ashrei, blessedness, depends on what's going on in our own hearts. This isn't a, a passive blessing. This is a blessedness that we participate in. And we only become blessed when we delight in God and His ways. That's what the psalmist is saying. So do we want joy and satisfaction in life? Well, then we've got to learn to reject the way of the wicked the counsel of the wicked. We've got to learn to refuse to stand with sinners. We've got to learn to, de to deny the seat that's offered to us so often by the scoffers of God. But it's far more than just saying no. This isn't God's just say no to drugs program here. This is about a resounding yes to God. This is a joyful, heartfelt affirmation of God in all of his ways that translates into obedience in all circumstances and, in fact, in spite of all circumstances. And so, uh, brothers and sisters, are your friends trying to pull you away from God with their doubts and, and cynicism? I know some of you are. I remember when I worked in D.C., it happened constantly. Are they, are they trying to, to get you to delight in wickedness? I know people who hate God's guts, but they're living the good life, man. In the world's eyes, they are blessed. 
but they're profane and ungodly. They cheat on their taxes. They take what they can from others, and they're tight-fisted with what they have, and my goodness, they have a lot. But you know what? They're happy. They certainly seem that way. They, they are happy by the world's standards. But the psalmist here is saying something far greater about the blessedness, the ashray that we have when we devote ourselves to God. When we delight in God, or as other passages in the Psalms testify, when we take refuge in God, or when we fear Him reverentially, when we seek Him with our whole heart, when we trust in God, when we receive His discipline, when we follow His statutes, when our hope is in Him and in Him alone, that's when a fullness of joy comes upon us that just towers over the lure of the wickedness and the fleeting glee of this silly world. It's a deep satisfaction in knowing that we're right with God and nothing else matters. And we have a burning desire just to please Him. And we have that desire even when the world around us is just going to hell in a handbasket. And that's exactly where it's going. That's what the psalmist says. And this is the context of the blessed man in Psalm 1. He is surrounded by wickedness, just like we are today. We love to talk so much about how, how things have changed and are getting more evil. Brothers and sisters, they haven't changed a bit. The world is just as it's always been. It's always been an awful place. It's, it's because of human nature. It's because ever since Adam took that bite out of the apple, sin has corrupted the entire world. There's nothing new under the sun. Solomon taught us that, and he was absolutely right. And so the world continues in its depravity, just as it did the day that Psalm 1 was written, and just as it did the day that Psalm 1 was sung for the very first time. The world continues to be a hard and difficult and ugly place because it's still corrupted by sin and it is allowed by God and his wisdom to be under the devil's rule until that final day when he will crush his enemies. But you see, this wicked world is the context of our devotion to God. Our delight in God is in sharp contrast to the world's hatred toward Him. Our delight in God is in the midst of that hatred. And it's in the midst of all the awful things that can happen to us when we lose our jobs or someone hates us or someone does evil against us or when we're reviled or when we get sick. It doesn't matter what it is. This is the context of our delight in God. We desire the loving discipline of God over the unbridled wantonness of those who scoff at God. We love God's law even though the wicked hate his law. And we, we choose to be honest. We choose to treat others with respect and dignity no matter who they are because that's who God calls us to be. We pay our taxes, we look after the poor, we love our wives, we honor our parents, and we, we worship nothing else but the God of Abraham and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And we gather together like this on the Lord's Day, and we cherish all human life, all human life, 
Because God does. Because every person on this planet is made in his image. And we stand up in this world as those who delight in God, while at the very same time, people revile him and they revile us. And then they turn to their own wisdom as they reject the living God. This is exactly what Paul warns us about in Colossians 2.8, and you can hear the echo of Psalm 1. He says, see to it that no one takes you captive by empty philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. Brothers and sisters, we are surrounded by a world of people who live not according to Christ. And we hear Psalm 1 and what Paul has just said. Don't go the way of the wicked because the way of the wicked is the most dangerous way that you can go. The way of the wicked will perish. The way of the wicked, they will not stand in the congregation on the judgment day. But God knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. So don't be taken captive by the world's scheming against God. But it is in this world of opposition to God that we're called to be devoted to him. And so we love him in word and deed because he is good and because he's looked with favor upon us through our Lord Jesus Christ. God has blessed us, get this, God has blessed us with knowing the mind of Christ. And that comes by the power and presence of the Holy Spirit. But the man of the world, 1 Corinthians 2 says, the man of the world does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him. It's just a bunch of foolishness to them. And so that's why the psalmist declares, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. When we delight in God's law, when we take pleasure in his goodness, when we relish the idea of living out loud for him, not just by our bold words of grace and truth, but also by our, our actions, that's when we experience true blessedness, the fullness of joy and satisfaction of knowing that we're right with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And in fact, the word in Hebrew for blessed in Psalm 1-1 takes it even further. It is a plural adjective. It says, in effect, oh, the heavenly blessednesses of the person who delights in God. Oh, the great spiritual happinesses of the one who takes pleasure in God. This is manifold blessedness. This is just a poetic way of saying, oh my goodness, there's, there's really too much here to list. It wouldn't fit all in one song. <laughs> the blessing of delighting in God is, is almost indescribable. It's almost too much for words to describe the advantages of being right with God. But you know, I think Paul came the closest of anybody to describing that blessing. 
in his letter from prison to the Philippians, he spells out how we're to be servants of Christ. Servants of Christ who are thoroughly and completely devoted to him and to his gospel. And he tells the Philippians that all of the the great advantages of his former life as a Jew who persecuted Christians, he was a prominent man. He had money, he had position, he had all of these things. He says that all of that is trash compared to knowing Christ. And we can, we can really overlay the thought of Psalm 1 here because of the way Psalm 1 ends, the way of the wicked will perish. A wicked man is worthless to God. That's the message of Psalm number 1. But the one who delights in God is blessed He's full of life, and he is filled with a godly purpose. He has purpose in God's eyes. And he's also filled with an unsurpassed joy in the knowledge of being right with God no matter what. And so the way Paul puts it in his letter to the Philippians, the way he puts it is is that the state of blessedness is defined by Jesus Christ himself. Listen to what he says in Philippians 3, beginning in verse 7. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. That is a blessed man. That is a man who delights in God. Can you hear his delight in the Lord? Can you hear it? Think of all of the hardships and persecution he faced because of his devotion to Jesus Christ. He was beaten. He was shipwrecked. He was despised and imprisoned and misrepresented and misunderstood. And yet Paul was a man who, by God's grace, was in a state of absolute blessedness because nothing, nothing was worth gaining if it meant not knowing Jesus Christ. He understood that knowing Christ is the greatest blessing of all. And compared to anything that the world could offer, Christ was the only thing worth having. And you see, Christ, his his knowledge of Christ didn't depend on his circumstances. He didn't need money. He didn't need fame. He didn't need position. He didn't need everybody to get along with him. He didn't need everything to go right in his life. All he needed was the blood of Jesus Christ. And that is the reason that he lived. That's what gave him his purpose. And that's what caused him to be a blessed man. A man full of the joy of God. Full of the satisfaction of knowing he was right with God because of what Christ had done for him. 
and it didn't depend on any of his circumstances. This is what it means to be a blessed person. Blessedness is the joy and satisfaction that comes from knowing that we're right with God because of our trust in him through Christ. It is a satisfaction and joy that has no regard at all for worldly circumstances. The only thing that a blessed person requires is Jesus Christ. And so we're about to sing a song of praise to our God. It's from Psalm 32. And in our ESV Bibles, it begins like this. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Now the Hebrew word here in Psalm 32 and throughout the psalm is our word of the day, Ashrei. David's sin is forgiven and covered, that is, uh, God has covered it and forgotten it because of his repentant heart, because he has participated in the blessing. He has repented, and so he's a blessed man. Verse 5 says, I acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not cover my iniquity. That is, I didn't cover it up myself. I didn't try to hide it from you, God. I said, I will confess my transgressions to to the Lord. And you forgave the iniquity of my sin. And so, brothers and sisters, just as a heart of delight toward God results in a state of blessedness, so does a repentant heart. So does any kind of turning toward the Lord and putting our trust in Him. These things are are but a few of the infinite number of blessednesses that come with being right with God through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Let's bow our heads and pray, and then we will sing. Holy and gracious God, we thank you and praise you for the blood of your Son. We thank you for blessing us by knowing, by giving us the knowledge of his mind by the power and presence of the Holy Spirit. And so, Father, we pray that you would Bless us with the ability through the Holy Spirit to live in such a way that brings honor and glory to you so that we too can be called blessed men and women and boys and girls, all to the glory of your name. Amen and amen.